everyone, and welcome to episode 265 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a small crew here this week. Krim cannot be with us. His internet so- suddenly stopped working this morning, so he couldn't make the cast, but we do have the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. What's going on today, Richard? Hey, Seth. What's going on? I can tell you the podcast is not sponsored by internet provider, starting with the letter C O. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I could ever be uh, be sponsored by internet provider with just like my horrible experiences with internet providers in my life. I cannot stand. Like I I very much feel bad for Krim dealing with big internet providers to try to get your internet working when your livelihood is using the internet to make magic content. Oh, it's the most frustrating worst thing. Uh, so good luck to Krim with getting his uh, internet back working at some point. But our podcast today going to be an interesting one. We don't have any super huge major topics, but we got a bunch of smaller topics we wanted to hit on. So we're going to talk about Pioneer. There was a big Pioneer SCG open this weekend. We're going to talk about some product announcements, Jumpstart being a big one, some other stuff as well, some arena news coming from the New York Toei Fair and other digital news. So we're going to be bouncing all over the place today, topic-wise, and uh, hitting on all that stuff. But before we get to all of that, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And if you've ever struggled with the hassle and the time it takes to sell your magic cards, Card Conduit's got you covered. They are the easiest way to sell magic cards. If you're looking to avoid the hassle and the time that it takes to sort and sell and buy list all your cards, the folks from over at Card Hoarder, which run Card Conduit, will sort, grade, and sell your magic cards. And once your shipment has been processed, you'll receive the proceeds minus a fee. And right now, you can get a 10% discount by going to cardconduit.com slash goldfish. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And let's talk some magic, Richard. Uh, I guess we'll start off with Pioneer. I don't know if you got to see any of the SCG open this weekend. They actually published a little bit of data. We got the metagame and the day two deck list. Uh, what do you think about the state of Pioneer and this tournament taking place uh, this weekend, Richard? I haven't played any Pioneer <laughs> in a while, but I can tell you the day two metagame numbers, 23% Inverter, 22% Saltide Delirium, 13% Band Spirits, 8% Monolite Devotion, and then a whole bunch of decks down down the list but the sample size is fairly small like the total number of decks here looks to be like 50 i, I didn't actually do the math but demir inverter 23 percent is 16 yeah uh they i think in the day two there were 69 decks altogether so yeah. a relatively small sample size worth mentioning as well that top eight wise which is kind of a weird metric because the sample size is super small as far as top eight and like one match can shift it but there were four inverter decks in the top eight so basically Inverter is still the king of Pioneer at this point, I would say. And uh, Lotus Breach, maybe that's the more surprising aspect. At the Players Tour, uh, the second one, it seemed like Lotus Breach was going to compete with Demir Inverter for best deck in the format. But it seems like Demir Inverter has been able to kind of adapt and update and stay at the top of the metagame by shifting sideboard slots and such, while Lotus Breach... I mean, it's still a thing, but it's definitely not fighting for the title of best deck in Pioneer at this point. Yeah, I mean, someone's got to be the best deck. Do do we think this is fine? Like a 20% 20 is a a lot, Uh, but the sample size is pretty small. We're only like two weeks out since the last event, so not too much time to adjust. Uh, But I don't know, Is, is this... Is this ban time, Seth? Are people talking about I, Demir Inverter, or are we fine with Inverter? I, I am leaning towards Demir Inverter 
probably being banned at some point. Like you said, it's still early. We're not that far away from the Players Tour events, but I think that it probably is going to end up needing to be banned. I think having a big metagame percentage is one thing. I think there's two reasons that I would point to uh, that make me think it will probably be targeted with a ban. And number one is the deck is super flexible. That's something we learned during the Players Tour events. Yes, it is a combo deck, but it's a combo deck that's actually kind of just like blue-black control, and you have a ton of ways to change sideboard slots, even change up your main deck slots, to be able to compete against basically anything. So one thing we've seen consistently is decks that for a week Weekend, people are like, okay, it looks like this has a good matchup against Inverter, but then the next weekend, Inverter just like changes their configuration to be able to beat that deck, and they do consistently. So it's unlike Lotus Breach, which Lotus Breach, I was worried that was going to be a problem after the Players Tour, but that does seem to be a deck that you can hate out. If you play your Graveyard Hate, you play the right guards, you can hate that out of the meta pretty easily, I will say, but Demir Inverter is not like that. So I think that's one point that makes me think that it'll probably end up needing to be banned. The other point is, uh, we have precedent with the Felidaire Guardian, Sahili combo, the Copycat combo, which is very similar, like two-card combo, roughly the same speed, hard to interact with outside of the stack, being banned in the format. So I think if you add those two things together, I would not be surprised if Inverter was targeted with a banning in the near future. But what do you think, Richard? I think it's time to rip the bandage off. Just hit dig through time. You know, I was talking like, oh, Demir Inverter is still good in Pioneer. Maybe we should pour it into Modern. And I'm like, wait, it gets worse. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> just get the dig through time. You know it's a ticking time bomb. You know it's like not good. It, it makes... Uh, it, it, you just can't have people refill their hands with like a dig through time. And if it's not already broken now, which I think it is, it will be broken in the future. So might as well just, just hit it and get it gone. Yeah. I mean, outside of standard, we have never actually had an eternal format where dig through time was okay. It's actually band restricted in every single other one. So it makes sense that it would be broken in Pioneer as well. I thought it might take a little bit longer and some more sets entering the card pool, but it happened really quickly. And I'm just not sure what the upside is. The big argument I've heard people say for keeping dig is like, oh, it helps control decks. But I don't really buy that because if you're playing control, you get a million ways to refill your hand. You got Sphinx's Revelation and just tons of card draw effects. So I feel like dig through time like specifically helps these combo decks more than it helps anything else because if all you want is mass card advantage you got plenty of options to do that in the pioneer format so i would be fine with dig being banned i would also be fine with just a combo piece being banned like maybe inverter or thassa's oracle i guess inverter would probably be the more likely i would say but but yeah i would be fine with either one of those happening but at this point we don't even have a date for a bnr that i've seen so they said yeah. they would announce when they're going to announce the bnr and they haven't even done that yet <laughs> Happen so, anytime, who Seth. knows? Anytime, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> Marl will From come up and until... just rip your Demir inverters <laughs> out of your. <laughs> oh, and then and then they will get a get a warning from the judge. <laughs> Uh, so otherwise, I mean, Pioneer still has a lot of cool decks going on beneath the surface, although eh, really the, the top two decks of the metagame were pushing 45% or something in the meta, which isn't absurdly bad, but it does make Pioneer right now look a little bit more like standard than something like Modern or Legacy, where usually you have the top deck at like 10, maybe 15% on a good weekend. So it does feel a little bit more standardish with these two decks uh, at the top of the format, but there's still 
is other stuff that is able to compete, able to make day two. The list of decks that made day two is fairly long, probably 20 different decks, including all the one of. So uh, I think that Pioneer's in a fine place, but it could be in a finer place, potentially, uh, once Inverter is dealt with. Yeah, I think just let people play more. I, I think literally, like three weeks or four weeks has passed since like the last metagame shift so just let people play out their cards i don't know when's like the next big pioneer tournament i don't think we have one for a while so we can just let people play it out yeah i don't other than some like scg open slash gp level stuff i don't think there is a big one coming up uh there's no pioneer pro tour or anything on the horizon or players tour i guess it would be now so i guess there isn't a huge rush to let things play out for a few more weeks and see what happens but i do think unless there is a shift which who knows maybe it still could happen like you said it hasn't been super long since the players tour but unless that shift does happen i wouldn't be surprised to see that happen whenever we do get our next bnr announcement uh, all right, so any other Pioneer thoughts, or should we start hitting up some of these other interesting magic topics for the week? Uh, no, let's go on. Uh, all right, so next up, there's been a, basically a bunch of different product announcements. I think the biggest one, though, is the announcement of a brand new set uh, in a very unique set, something we haven't really seen before, a set called Jumpstart, which is coming this summer. And uh, Richard, why don't you explain to the audience what Jumpstart is about? Like, what's the idea of this product? All right. It's a new product. And the idea is you get two boosters, shuffle them together, and then you play a game of magic. Uh, Each booster has 20 cards. All 20 cards fit a theme. So if you you remember kind of the uh, themed packs that we have, uh, and it's possible to make 121 possible 20 card lists inside any given given pack. Now the themes are stuff like Garrick or Doctor, Doctor Garrick, uh, Cat Pirate. Those are the kind of examples they listed. Uh, but one in three boosters includes an extra rare. It's loaded with reprints. 500 introduces 37 new cards to the game that are not standard, pioneer, or modern legal. They are legal in Legacy, Vintage, and Commander. So uh, basically, like all supplemental products, uh, it's closely tied to Core Set 2021. They share a lot of content and release near one another, but Jumpstart is a standalone product. And every pack includes one basic land with art that matches the pack's theme. A few of them use thematically appropriate lands from M21, but most of them use brand new themed land art created for Jumpstart. Pre-release is June 20 to 21st. Yeah, so this is coming. The pre-release is actually one week before the M21 pre-release, so it's kind of two in a row. And the other thing that people asked, I watched the stream where they announced this, was what's the price on this going to be? Like, how much are you going to pay for a Jumpstart booster? And they couldn't give us a, a direct answer because, oh, there's no MSRP. But they did say they expected these would sell for more than a normal booster, but not significantly more than a normal booster. So hopefully that means it's oh like $5 a pack and not like $10 a pack. Uh, I don't know what they consider significantly more because I think this is a cool idea. Like I like the idea of this product. It's very unique. It reminds me a little bit of Unsanctioned where they kind of did something similar where they had the pre-made decks and you're supposed to shuffle two together. But this has a whole bunch more of uh, like kind of variants 
words and randomness to it, because there's so many different themes and possible combinations. So it seems like a fast, fun way to play Magic. It's kind of like ha- somehow halfway between buying a pre-constructed deck and uh, buying a booster pack. You get the upside of not having to build a deck, which is especially nice for new players or players that are short on time that you would see with a pre-con, but you still get kind of some amount of variance, because there's like 500 cards in the set. There, You don't even know what theme is in your booster until you open it. It's not like uh, the normal theme boosters where it's like, oh, this is a red booster. You just open it up and then you'll know what your theme is after you see the cards. How fun do you think this will be to play, Richard? Like, is this play style appealing to you? No. (laughs) 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 To be frankly honest with you, we're going to look at the 37 new cards and see how it affects Legacy Vintage and Commander, but unless they make this some kind of sanctioned format, like getting like this reminds me of um back in the old days they had the oh, what do you call them like booster decks so you got like these these decks that uh had like 40 or 60 cards but they were like randomized and they're basically just like three or four booster packs shoved together and you would play sealed with them right so this kind of reminds me of that but i i don't know i just can't see myself using this 20 card pack i would just go play sealed right i just go play draft or something uh, so it's going to depend on how good these reprints are and uh, what these new cards. Like if there's a true name nemesis or something in this product, then people will buy it, right? Uh, if the lands are cool. So I don't know what the themed lands are, but uh, I imagine if you have like, say, a dog deck or something, there's going to be some basic land with dogs on it. Like that's what I think of when they say this, but I'm not sure. Uh, so I think... There will be value for normal Magic players, but I don't know if I'm just sitting around my LGS and I'm bored. I just buy some of these packs and play. Like you would just play Pack Wars or you just play your Constructed. So I'm not exactly sure who's supposed to play this. I can't imagine new players doing this. Like if you're at Target and you've never played Magic before, like are you able to play this? Like it seems too complicated. So I yeah, I'm not sure. I I kind of view it the opposite way. Like I could see myself playing this. I picture myself like at an event and like talking to people, whatever, playing some side events and having, I don't know, you know, 15 minutes until the next thing I have to do and being like, all right, let's like crack up, open a couple of these packs, shuffle them together, like play a game. I I think that could be fun. Would I do it like over and over again? Eh, I don't know. I'll have to see like how it plays, but I could see myself using this to fill that specific role. Like, I don't have enough time to, like, do the full thing, build a seal deck, or do a whole draft, but I still kind of want something uh, along those lines as far as experience. I think it could be fun for that. I will say, I don't know about the special land thing. Do we have too many special lands these days, Richard? Have we reached the point where, since every product in every set seems to have some sort of special land that no lands are special anymore are like just the original boring border are those like the special lands now because everything else is special quote unquote pretty much i mean (laughs) i don't know that anyone's like oh yeah cool full art lands right like we get so many of them now but i think it's fine right i mean it costs them basically nothing right and like these these lands will be pretty cheap right like the new theros lands aren't that expensive so just the more options uh but yeah, like I when I see new lands, I don't care. I'm like, oh, what is that weird like onslaught land you have? Oh, that's pretty cool, right? Like so, but you know, I, I I'm an old timer. Uh, yeah, but are you gonna sleeve these cards, Seth? Here's the question. Oh no, no, no. no, no. no? 
Oh, that's what, too what much if there's work. like a Jace the Mind Sculptor in here or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's got to be something I, valuable in these packs, right? Otherwise, uh, you know, Watsy, uh, there's going to be some good reprints in here. You're going to have to sleeve up your deck. That kind of defeats the purpose if you got to sleeve it up. That takes away from that quick aspect. If you have to crack these boosters and then spend 10 minutes sleeving them to play a game, that kind of kills it for me. I don't think I would. I, I guess. Maybe in some weird way, I hope that I open bad cards so I don't have to feel guilty as I shuffle. But you have to put them in sleeves, otherwise your opponent knows you don't have the bomb Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> that's that's true, you're giving away some EV there. <laughs> Alright, well what do you, what uh, do you think, think is likely it. to be reprinted in this set? Do you think? There's gotta be expensive cards in here, right? Like, it can't just be all bad cards. I'm not expecting super high-end stuff, honestly. I mean, we'll see what the new cards are. I I know they did say that they were kind of commander focused, which isn't surprising considered 2020 is the year of commander. So we'll see what the new cards are. My expectation would be like, uh, you, you get goblin theme, maybe has some like random goblin lords that are worth a few dollars or something, but I'm not expecting to see like, oh, your theme is whatever blue. I don't even think that's a theme. And you get a Jason mind sculptor or something, or like uh, your, your theme is lands and you get a scalding tarn or whatever. Are you expecting that kind of stuff? Are you expecting like yes, really expensive cards? Because it's selling for more than a normal booster. So at minimum you're going to have like the value distribution of a standard set, right? Uh, but you but, know why they're selling for more, Richard? Because you get more cards. They were very clear on that. <laughs> we're giving you 20 cards which means you have to pay more money for the boosters. Oh, I, I think they're gonna they're gonna load it with good reprints. I, I think they're gonna reprint like a bunch of cards that are worth money. Um, like for example, like for your random themes, like cats or like pirates or something, they're gonna find like old obscure cats or pirates that people want to play with that are expensive and put them in. Uh, they'll they'll come down in price, but I do think this cannot just be M twenty commons, right? Like they're expecting people to pay like four dollars a pack, if not five. Um, so th there's going to be value in here. I think the other thing to consider is they're not random uh, because they're theme boosters. They're like kind of correlated to some extent so i would have to imagine and the other thing that's interesting is the themes themselves have rarity they talked about like some of the themes are common so you'll get those theme boosters way more often when like phyrexia is one of the the uh mythic themes so you're gonna get a phyrexia booster way less often than you would get a goblin booster which is like a common theme or whatever so maybe they go go more uh heavy with the valuable stuff for the themes that are actually more rare yeah. Uh, all right. So other product announcements. We, we talked about Jumpstart. We got some weird ones. Uh, for example, the world's smallest Magic the Gathering dual deck. When I saw this, so you could, you could see it's uh, on the Magic Mike's cast, uh, at the MM cast on Twitter. They're the people that tweeted about it. When I first saw this, I thought it was like a parody or some sort of satire, but it's apparently actually a real product. It's a dual deck, the normal dual deck, except the cards, I don't even know how to describe the size. Like, uh, a quarter? Would they be the size of a quarter, roughly? Something like that? Slightly larger than a postage stamp? I don't, I don't know. Like, Slightly maybe two stamps? <laughs> maybe two postage stamps? How do you shuffle these, Richard? How do you, What do you think about this product? What do you do with this product? <laughs> so, this feels like something someone would make and post on Reddit as, like, a cool thing. I'm surprised they printed this. Uh, but if you look at the picture, there's like miniature Uno. This is a thing apparently, right? There's miniature Uno in the background. I don't know how you shuffle it. Uh, they're playing sleeveless. So I guess you, you can't get like half size sleeves. 
We'll but have to get in on the mini sleeve, <laughs> mini sleeve racket. So I, I can't can imagine a use case where I'm like, I need to save on like the one cubic inch extra space of carrying like a full size Jace versus Vraska. But it's a cool novelty item. Like I, I would give it as like a secret Santa gift or something to a magic player. Like I don't know. I I love if you read the packaging. It's got the normal stuff like oh Magic the Gathering, Jace vs Rasca dual deck, and then under that in big print, yes exclamation point actually works exclamation point because you know that was the first question. <laughs> Everyone like can I actually use these? Uh, I think that is true though. I would give this to someone as a novelty gift too. Like I I think that's where it's uh, actually most valuable. I can't imagine actually playing with them regularly although looking at the cards the quality seems decent like there's a kind of a semi-close-up of like the miniature Veraska, and it looks just like the normal Veraska, just tiny so i guess if you you like really small magic cards for some reason maybe that's that's the thing for you are these tournament legal they're black bordered <laughs> is, is there a, is there a stipulation in the rules that says your cards must be a certain size because they are black bordered <laughs> I'm going to show up to a Pioneer tournament with this deck and register it and just see what people do. Talk about YouTube content. That would probably be a hilarious video just to film your opponent's opponent's reaction as you uh, sit down with the mini deck at a GP or something. <laughs> Here, will you cut this for me, please? Opponent. <laughs> uh, all right. More, more product stuff. We got to keep going through the list. We got some... Icoria artwork. Uh, there was a toy fair. I believe this all came from the New York toy fair. The next stuff we're going to be talking about. Uh, Richard, did you see this artwork? I think what I've been trying to figure out, we saw Vivian. So Vivian will be in the set. We see a lot of beasts, just like big beastly animal creaturey things. Any guesses at the creature type? That's what I've been trying to figure out mostly uh, from this Icoria art. I agree with you that they kind of look like dinosaurs. But at the same time, they don't look like dinosaurs, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I am not sure. It looks, the whole thing to me looks very, like, prehistoric, land yes. before timey. Just you see, like, I don't know, the whole thing, that's what it reminds me of, like land before time yeah. or something like yeah. that. Except with, like, more beast, beast-type creatures to go along with what might be dinosaurs. But yeah. do you think that's going to be the theme? Is this like a really old plane, a prehistoric plane? Okay, it's literally called Lair of the Behemoths. So, yes, <laughs> I agree with you. There will be prehistoric giant animals. <laughs> so, I think we'll see dinosaurs. I think we'll see, like, giant sloths and mammoths and things like that. So, that yes. That sounds kind of cool. I mean, it sounds like Maybe taking one of the more hyped aspects of uh, Ixalan, which was the dinosaur theme, but cutting out some of the the weirdness of like having the dinosaurs be fighting like vampires and like some of the other merfolk and stuff that was a little weird. This seems a little more focused on the behemoth creatures uh, rather than being scattered around with a bunch of different tribal stuff. Yeah, is, is Garrick dead? I feel like if we were like somewhere with behemoths and beasts, like it would be Garrick's plane, but. It's Vivian's. Yeah. I mean, maybe Garrick will be there, too. It seems possible. I mean, Garrick is back, though. He came back with Throne of Eldraine, so uh, he is alive, I believe. What, what happened? What, what happened? Who, who knows anything? What happened in the Throne of Eldraine? Besides he, the gingerbread people getting killed. That, that's all I know. All that's I know all I know. The, the MV ended, and that was it. I don't know. <laughs> he beat up those soldiers, <laughs> ate the gingerbread. He might have got spiked in the eye by the, the gingerbread woman. That might have been the end of Garrick. That's... 
I don't think it's been confirmed though. But yeah, it does look Land Before Time. I, I don't know. It looks pretty cool. I, I feel like this prehistoric beast thing. But I don't know. That's like kind of similar to Ixalan too, right? But we'll see how it goes. But it is yeah. called Ikoria Lair of the Behemoths. And the packs have like scary looking <laughs> beasts on them. And a, like a kind of cute looking porcupine, I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a weird magic set. Um, do you have any guess at the mechanic? This is one thing that people have been banding about. Marrow is mentioned a couple of times. Um, like some mechanic that you've been wanting to have for a long time coming with Ikoria. People are like speculating that maybe it's like the half and half meld mechanic that we, not meld, uh, whatever the half and half mechanic was from unsets where you have like two cards and you're going to both and they combine together for different abilities, level up type mechanic. Any idea how they're going to make these big beasts and behemoths grow mechanically? Put some plus one plus one counters on them. <laughs> I, I don't oh, I don't know. Monstrous. Marrow, monstrous again. <laughs> every year implements something he's been trying to implement his entire life, so I don't you know this is this, this is normal, right? He, he's just uh, bringing together the visions for magic he's he's had his entire career in life, so I, I don't know. Uh, it's really hard for me to speculate on this. I just hope they don't add another side to magic cards. Like if you tilt it at a forty five degree angle, it is the fifth side. <laughs> uh, well, what if it's like mega look- mega counters I don't know <laughs> we, each counter is a plus should- two plus two counter <laughs> we should know more in maybe a month or so the set itself I think pre-release is like April 17th so we should get spoilers the end of March sometime and also uh, worth mentioning as well we already knew this but they confirmed again that the 2020 commander decks are coming alongside Ikoria so we're also getting a full week of spoilers separately from the set itself for commander 2020 which is like attached to Ikoria but not technically Ikoria so what that means is lots of spoilers coming up here not too long in the future. We'll be full on into spoiler season again. The other news we got from the New York Toy Fair is some digital stuff with the most interesting being Magic Arena coming to mobile, apparently. And I, I had been wondering, they said mobile. My take was maybe they mean like iPads or something like with bigger screens, but they actually showed a picture of what looks to be a cell phone with Magic Arena on it. Now, I, I'm sure it's a mock-up and not actually uh, happening, but what do you think, Richard? Is that actually going to be a thing? Are we actually going to be able to play full-on Arena on our cell phones in 2020? I hope so. I I mean, it looks promising. It looks promising. I don't know how well it works because I can barely play on my PC. <laughs> like... <laughs> They can't optimize for my computer that's, like, really beefy. Like, is my phone going to have five minutes of battery life? I also have Android, which is always worse for games. Like, everything is always super optimized for iOS. Android is always pretty bad. But I think it's happening. And a lot of people play Magic Arena on their phones today using, like, Steam Link or something. It's doable. Uh, you know, even if the board gets crowded without any modification to the UI, you can like get through like 95% of magic. So hopefully if they do a little couple tweaks, like kind of like what Hearthstone did, they can actually get the mobile experience to, uh, to work out. But I'm excited to finally play Magic Arena in the bathroom. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, if it actually is on your phone, it would be huge. Like, that is such a big deal for Arena, if it actually is functional and playable on the phone. And the mock-up looks good. It actually, for me, the big deal was, it confirms that when they were saying mobile, they're actually talking about your phone. They're not talking about, like, oh, if you have a 20-inch <laughs> pad, you're going to be able to do it. Like, they're actually trying to do it, and I hope that it actually works out, too, because I think that would be a huge thing for the game overall. I would play Arena on my phone all the time. Like, it'd be so nice to be able to do just a quick game on arena uh, the other thing they confirmed at the toy fair was spell slingers i don't know if you remember valor's reach it was a game that was in beta i think maybe a year ago and it's been talked about a little bit so spell slingers is another mobile magic game it's magic's gameplay mostly mobile uh, optimized for mobile the first social collectible card game designed for the mobile generation what does any of this mean, Richard? You know more about non-Magic games than I do. What is social collectible card game optimized for mobile? Like, what, what do those words mean when you put them all together? What are you expecting from this? No idea. I am not part of the mobile first generation, Seth. I am <laughs> part of the, wow, back in my day, we connected with our 14.4 <laughs> modems. And I, I don't know why we need another part, like, can't Arena be the optimized mobile experience? Like, why is there a better version of Magic than Arena on mobile? But I don't know. I think it's their take on the new age CCGs for for mobile, which I don't know because I don't play any other. So I don't know what that means. But it it's another little, Magic IP. It is a little strange that uh, they're trying to release Arena on mobile at the same time that they're releasing this on mobile when it seems like maybe they're kind of competitive, uh, like competing with each other to some extent in the same space. It says card battler. Does that, does that mean anything to you? No, this, this means, I, I I don't, I don't know. Like it makes sense for games that aren't CCGs. Like when League of Legends makes like a mobile (laughs) card game, like, okay, cool. Cause they don't have it, but we have it. So I'm not sure. Uh, My guess is it's like dumbed down, simpler, um, less stuff on the screen. Uh, like if, if they instead said, we're not making Magic Arena and we're only making Spell Slingers, existing Magic players would riot, right? They're like, oh, you know, I want exact control as if it was Paper Magic, right? And, but we know that makes things slower. It's complicated. If you want to sit down for like a two minute game, that's hard, right? So my assumption is they're going to take all of that and streamline it to, to make it into a mobile experience. Uh, it just happens to be a CCG as well, so it's super confusing, but you're going to sit down and sling some spells for two minutes and then call it a day, so... I mean... Yeah. I mean, I guess the more the more the merrier when it comes to different kind of games using the Magic IP. I mean, they're, they are definitely serious about growing uh, the brand, <laughs> hashtag, uh, with different, different stuff, so hopefully some people enjoy it. I don't think that... It's something I personally am very interested in, although I am very hyped for Arena, hopefully being on mobile, but, uh, I mean, something to keep in mind, I guess, if you like the Magic universe and want to check out a different digital game in the near future. Yeah, I just saw, so I'm, I'm reading the slides. Baldur's Gate 3 is on this slide, which is more exciting than any of this other news I've seen, but what, Hasbro owns Baldur's Gate? I'm so confused. What is going on? Apparently, wow! I I didn't know that either. But so <laughs> so other news. So other news in 2020, China beta for Magic Arena. So uh, un- unlocking. I don't know what, what's China like a fifth of the world's population, a quarter. I don't know what it is, but like a huge market for Magic. If you remember the decks we had, um, 
like the dual decks we had from China, uh, but they're yeah. launching. And then generically, esports in 2020. <laughs> Speaking of esports, we did actually get some uh, uh, some players tour news, which I wanted to ask you about. I forgot to add this to our list of topics, but I don't know if you saw this, Richard. They announced the rest of the players tours for 2020. We just had the first one, uh, the first batch. The finals is still coming up the end of April. The big news, though, is the Series 2 players tours, which happen between May and up to October, are um, modern and standard. No limited. They are getting rid of limited from the Pro Tour stage, essentially. So that was one topic I wanted to ask you about. The other one is they're bringing limited back for the Series 3 players tours, which happen right after Zendikar Rising releases. And most exciting to me, those players tours are happening the first one on October 9th. This year, the release date for Throne of Eldraine was October 4th, which means, assuming they stick to that schedule, which is usually right around within a few days, uh, this Players Tour is happening almost immediately after the set release. So we're getting back to, instead of waiting six weeks after the set to have a Players Tour, this one's happening right away. So what do you think about the Players Tour schedule for the rest of the year? I am a huge fan of moving the Players Tour right after set release. Uh, I, I really dislike this wait six weeks, wait four weeks, uh, after where the metagame's kind of been solved. So I really like that. I don't know why they cut limited. Like, I feel like if they wanted to include a format, they should have just did all three formats. Uh, cause it's a little confusing. Like, you know, next player's tour, is it draft? Is it modern? It's just like hard to, to keep track of, but more formats better, right? Like seeing different formats in magic is interesting. So bringing modern up front is cool. So I'm fine with these changes. They look pretty good overall. The only thing I could think of with the limited thing is uh, that series, the finals happens July 10th through 12th, which would mean Corset 2021 would be the the limited format uh, that had just released. So maybe it's partly because traditionally Corset Limited has not been as popular as the other sets of the year. So that might be part of it is just to avoid having to do a pro tour with Corset Limited being one of the main formats. Yeah. I also agree that uh, having the pro tours right after that release is going to be sweet. That's something we've talked about pretty much since they changed it and moved to the like six weeks after it's going to be much more exciting and there's actually going to be a chance that maybe we see something different maybe the pros figure out something new it's a little bit complicated by the fact that everything releases so early digitally these days so even though it's like a week after the paper release it's probably going to be like three weeks after or four weeks after the digital release but still i think that's a good change to move it up as close as possible to the set release do you think we'll still have cardboard live Ooh, uh I mean, why wouldn't we? Uh, like, not having it ready in time? No, because... So, uh, did we talk about this in the podcast? Was I oh, even here? the, the data? The so data the data, they, they, Wizard stopped Frank Karsten from publishing kind of all the deck lists from a Grand Prix and doing, like, the full matchup data. Uh, so now you can still kind of do that, which we actually do for every player's tour, because they publish all the deck lists minus these specific sideboard numbers. So by the end of the players tour, we have a pretty decent picture of matchup data between the various decks. Now, right now the players tour comes like six weeks after a set release. So, you know, we're solving standard, but we're solving it pretty late. Now, if it's right after set release, Wizards, you know, hates data. So, you know, this is gonna come out right after set release, solving their standard environment quite quickly. 
Uh, do you think they'll keep it up? Do you think they'll remove the deck list from Cardboard Live so we can't do this? I'm, I'm not sure. I think they will keep it. I think Wizards doesn't want much data out there. That's very clear. But I think that they want their coverage to be good. And I think the necessity of deck lists for coverage to work at the level they want it to is going to trump their desire to not release data. So I basically, I think there's going to be a players tour exception. I expect that for players tours in specific, they'll still have all the deck lists published. They'll still do their metagame breakdown and all that stuff, but they're going to try to stifle like GP data in other tournament data and just have the players tour and mythic invitational data be published. All right. I think people would be very upset if, they walked back uh, the coverage improvements, which Cardboard Live is a pretty big one for new players. I think if Wizards just got rid of that, I think people would be rightly upset about it. I, I think they're going to walk it back. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll know more. I think, when is our next player's tour? It's still a little bit. The next one is the finals of Series 1, which is April 24th through 26th, which, uh, kind of funny about that one. Uh, <laughs> that event is Pioneer and Standard. And that event, I believe, happens literally on release weekend of Ikoria. So players, the set releases in paper the 24th, and the Pro Tour starts the 24th. So if you want to play any new cards in your decks, uh, good luck, I guess, getting <laughs> access to those cards in paper within like a couple hours, potentially, of the, the actual Players Tour happening. So that should be an adventure. Yeah, just be part of a big team affiliate with the card store who can open their packs like <laughs> a week or two in advance and then just, you know, sell them to you two minutes <laughs> before the Players yeah, Tour. Yeah, definitely... I mean, I'm sure there'll be some mechanism in place for it, like pre-orders or whatever, but if you are in the Players Tour Finals in Houston, definitely something to keep in mind if you're playing new cards. Um, I think that might be all of our topics. Is there anything I'm forgetting about, or are we, uh, are we to Fishmail already? Uh, no, we can move on to Fishmail. I think we've covered everything. So if you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MDGFishmail, and we get to your questions on air. Steve Bond 215 do you think a possible solution to all combo taking over eternal formats like modern and pioneer could be the printing of new cards with split second personally i think it's an underutilized keyword and would fit in well with today's world of power creep it's definitely a powerful mechanic it's a little bit confusing i think uh, to some extent like it, especially in corner cases uh, where it works and where it doesn't work what would what would answering combo be though? Just like a split second counter spell. If you're gonna do that, Dovin's veto, except than a Dovin's veto or they something. Can counter like anything. Counter yeah. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think of that mechanic in general, Richard? I'm kind of like I hate split second. Yeah. It's it's like hexproof for spells. It's like it, it it fundamentally breaks one of the ways that magic works. So I don't I don't like it. Like I'd rather have it be like the spell can't be countered. Uh, so that, I guess that's kind of like hexproof as well, but at least it doesn't like break the stack, right? You can like keep playing other spells uh, because like, for example, if you play a spell, someone, uh, if 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 they counter, you counter back the Dylan's Veto, you can like play another counter spell to counter the original spell or something like that, right? Where split second does not allow that interaction whatsoever. You can't like activate abilities or can you i don't know there's like weird timing rules it's like super convoluted so i do not like split second i'd rather we solve this in some other way 
I do think that more ways to fight combo decks uh, is something I'm on board with, especially in Pioneer and Modern. Legacy, uh, for the people that care about it, I think that's already good with Force of Will and stuff, but I do think more cards that can interact with combos would be beneficial for Modern. What, what would that card be if it's not a split-second card? Free uh, counter? Force of will. Just, just literal Force of Will. But just then do the it. combo decks would also play it. I don't know if modern combo decks can actually take advantage of it the way legacy combo decks. Because you don't have, like, Brainstorm, Ponder, Preordain, which is, like, the core of combo decks in legacy, so you just naturally have a million blue cards. If you look at the combo decks in modern, they're, like, uh, Vizier, uh, Druid combo decks, Primeval Titan combo decks. I'm not sure the best combo decks in modern can actually have enough blue cards to make Force of Will work when your random control deck or whatever could. So I, I'm willing to take the chance uh, just because I don't think the best combo decks can really take advantage of Force of Will very easily. What about Demir Inverter and Pioneer? <laughs> uh, well, okay, so I should say I don't know if I actually want Force of Will and Pioneer. That might be a bridge too far. I, I would rather just see like maybe inverter powered down uh, i think that yeah that would change pioneer too much i think for the smaller card pool i i think cards like angel's grace or something could work whereas maybe it's not could... a straight counter it's like how about teferi's protection like a free teferi's protection <laughs> where you can phase yourself out for one turn and then come back and like try to fix it all but if they have something that kills you at instant speed all the time, then that, that's not going to work. But something like, like that's not a counter spell, right? Like that the decks can't use to like fight back with you. Maybe, maybe if they could do it attached to something that's already playable. Like maybe that's the way. Kind of like Containment Priest. You get yeah. the two-two body, which is already okay, but it also shuts down Reanimator. Maybe some sort of Hate Bear Angel's Grace, where it's a card you can like actually put in your main deck. That's the problem with Angel's Grace is it's just like so dead in a lot of matchups that you can't really play it in your main deck unless you're comboing with it yourself. So maybe if you had an already okay creature that just had that stapled onto it, maybe that would be a way to go. Just give me would a Thoughtseize with Retrace. No. <laughs> would would that be too good? What about a two-two for two with Flash? They just said, you can't lose the game this turn and your opponent can't win the game. Is that too powerful of a magic card? I Would you, like, if you're like a random deck, you wouldn't play it, right? You'd have to be like a Coco deck or something or, you know, like a Birthing Pod style deck. Then you would play it. But I don't think, like, if you're just a random deck, you would just play Angel's Grace, no? Well, what does having a body help you with exactly if you're not a creature deck already? I mean, you can... Chump block, aggro, attack, planeswalkers, but maybe, maybe it would like be I think it would be too good be because like creature decks, like Coco decks, could play it and then blink it and blink it and blink it and like, <laughs> like you know be super yeah. obnoxious with it. But I don't think like if you're a Zoya's control or something, you would just randomly play this. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Well, definitely interesting to see how they could do it. I, I guess I don't have a good answer. Aaron Eus is mind rack harpy underrated milling three each turn seems strong whether you want to mill your deck or your opponents it's a reasonable creature for its cost seems playable and standard mill dredge escape maybe commander two what is uh, mind rack harpy on. looking looking at mind rack harpy <laughs> uh so mind rack harpy enchantment creature four mana three two flying at the beginning of combat on your turn each player mills for three um i think the problem is two toughness is a little rough uh, it makes it very easy for it to die to cheap removal spells. I think that is the main concern. I don't think it's impossible that it could be standard playable, but I think it's just way too slow. If you look at Dredge in Modern or some of the other examples, they're milling 15, 20 cards on turn two when just mill three on 
turn four and then every turn after that, I think it's just way too slow and lacking in impact for older formats. Yeah, it's too fair. It, it it feels like something like a delirium based deck would play with, but the body is just too small. Like getting shocked is like not cool for your four mana card. If it had one extra toughness, it would go a lot further in standard, potentially, I think. Or if it was like a 1-4 instead of a 3-2, something like that. Yeah. Uh, Lagrania. Seth has talked about how he feels Mulligan impacts deck construction slash consistency. Do you feel the implementation of Scry as an evergreen keyword has contributed to the problem as well? Should Scry go away also or instead? Mm, I think this adding Scrying uh, as an evergreen keyword has been a really positive change. I think that that is a power level where I feel like it increases uh, consistency of decks, but also uh, is not too powerful. And we haven't seen any scry cards that I think are just absolutely uh, broken or anything. Uh, but but yeah, I don't think that that, for me, is really connected to the mulligan rule thing. The mulligan rule thing is more, I feel like the mulligan rule lets you just free spin into your key card every single game, and then games play out similarly. And we see a lot of standard decks that are built around that. Fires of Invention, Ember Cleave, Wilderness Reclamation. So you get to just, like, free roll a couple of mulligans, because you have this one card that's worth, like, five cards. So you just free roll into that one card, and then do that every single game, and whose combo is... Uh, happens quicker or who wins the die roll determines who wins the game in those matchups yeah yeah i there's a cost to scry in your deck like all of the cards that have scry on them that's like factored into their costs whereas the london mulligan is just like free (laughs) so i don't know and I, i don't think removing scry does anything like they would put it in and just use convoluted uh convoluted sentences to describe it right like whenever you see cards uh, that have old mechanics that are not keyworded and you have to read like two lines of text and you're like, oh wait, that's just this mechanic, right? So I think having Scry's mechanic is good. Do they overuse it? I don't think so. Do we have two strong cards? Like what's the best Scry card? Like Serum Visions? Sphinx? Like that's it? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess, I guess uh, Preordained, but that's no longer. <laughs> that, that, that was like 10 years ago or something. <laughs> that's not a recent card, right? Yeah, I can't think of any that are like truly broken like some of the cantrips are good but those are just because they're one mana cantrips more than actual scry i think uh so so yeah i don't think it's been a problematic mechanic if anything i would like to see cycling become a evergreen mechanic and go like a little bit further that direction even yeah uh indifferent 9109 how would you describe the perfect meta one of every major archetype lots of different mid-range decks every color pair equally viable what is the perfect meta So, for me, I put the most value in just having a large number of decks that are competitive. Like, that's just me personally, and I think that when it comes down to it, what you think is the perfect meta really depends on your play style, how you interact with the game, because I was listening to a lot of uh, pro players over the weekend during the DreamHack event, uh, we're talking about, and they were like, oh, this standard meta is so awesome, there's like four decks, and then which one is best each weekend is going to change every week, and if this deck's good, I can play this deck to beat that deck, but if this deck's good, then I want to play this deck. So I think it really depends on uh, your play style, what you, how you interact with Magic. But for me, I appreciate formats that just have a ton of decks that are competitive enough that if you hit good matchups, practice a lot, and run well, you can actually put up a good finish with it, which is kind of why I love formats like Modern and Pioneer so much. 
if you get the right breaks, you can win with like the 50th de- best deck in the format. You can 5 a league with it or win your FNM or perform well enough to cash at a GP or something. So that's what I personally value, but I don't think there's like one right answer. What, a, what do you value in formats, Richard? I think that there is something for everyone. So that what that kind of means is that all colors should be viable, not color pairs, but like all colors. And I mean like, the, the essence of the color like white for white to be viable there needs to be like a white creature deck not just like some control deck splashing white <laughs> right and then also uh the archetypes represented so if i wanted to play a combo deck i should be able to play a combo deck somewhere an aggro deck so i don't like formats that are just like three different mid-range decks vying for number one spot uh, i like formats where you can play every color uh and you can also play the different archetypes uh, next question, Dio Govic. In the finals, PVDDR could tell Marcio had a mystical dispute in hand because Arena kept stopping at one blue mana whenever he played a blue spell. Shouldn't there be a way in Arena to represent having a card? This is a hot topic. This is actually... Uh, so, in the Arena events, players are not allowed to turn on full control mode. So, if you have nothing... Let's say you're holding blue blue and you don't have a counter spell, uh, your turn will just, every time you have priority, it'll just pass instantly. So your opponent will know that you have no way to respond. Similarly, if you have a card you can respond with, the game will always pause when you're, you know, when it's your turn. So they know you have something. And the fact that players are not allowed to adjust for this, I think. There, there is some competitive integrity issues, especially if you if you want to say arena and paper are equal. You should definitely be able to turn on full control to bluff a counter spell. I think. Yeah, that's that is a really interesting question. I'm kind of okay with arena being different. I do think like, but it's a trade off from a competitive integrity standpoint. Players being able to turn on full control makes sense. The problem is, from a viewership standpoint, if you allow full control, then it just becomes 100% correct to always play with full control. Like, that is how you get the most EV points, because you won't lose any bluff value, you will never have any of those issues where your opponent gets any sort of information based on how the turn progresses. So that's a, that seems like a big cost to me, to have every tournament just slow... I mean, if you're playing Arena... Have you ever played Arena on full control, Richard? Yeah. Arena on full control, you might as well play Moto. Moto's like five times as fast as full control Arena. Arena without full control is faster than Moto. But, uh, so I feel like... I feel like in this case, the trade-off is worth it. Yes, it costs a little bit as far as tournament integrity uh, or competitive integrity, but it is fair between players, and everyone is playing with the same... Uh, on a level playing field. It, it is equal between players, and there are ways around that if it's something you care about. Leave your Fable Passage uncracked or something. Like, maybe it changes how you play <laughs> slightly to get around that, but there are ways where if you don't treat Arena exactly the same as Paper uh, in regards to bluffing, you can get around it without breaking the tournament rules. So, I think I would rather have Arena tournaments run smoothly and quickly and be entertaining for viewers than to have players have the maximum uh, paper style of competitive integrity. Uh, I mean, that's a good point. But at the same time, it just feels so wrong. And like, there's got to be a way to speed it up, like a more aggressive clock. So if you waste all your time bluffing, you're going to run out of clock time. I don't know. We already have this problem today. When Nassif plays, it like grinds to a halt, right? <laughs> like, 
because like you, your timers don't count until your rope actually burns down so if you just rope every play and then before the rope goes you make your play it's fine right like you're not penalized until match time comes into effect but i don't know it's just so wrong that they know the other card in hand right like it's not a game of hidden information when it's just like sitting there and i maybe you're right maybe you just have to take into account if you're playing a counter spell deck you're opponent's gonna know if you have the counterspell or not right so if you want to mitigate that hold up fabled passage don't play counterspell decks but i don't know it just seems seems weird to me that you're not allowed to turn on full maybe it's like timeouts or something you're allowed to full control like three times a match <laughs> right so maybe, if you do more yeah, than maybe. that you, you you get a game loss but you can use it three times a match to bluff in key situations i i would be fine with that i would be fine with being able to turn it on for situations that are fine i just worry like i think from i want the absolute highest percent of winning every match i think it would be correct to just always play with it on if that was allowed because i think that gives you the absolute highest uh, percentage but some sort of middle ground where you can turn it on for key turns x number of times per match or something that might be a good way to handle it as well because i do agree with you that it's awkward that you get punished for playing certain cards certain decks based on how arena is designed and it is also awkward that our main digital client these days is not exactly the same as paper although that might partly be because i played magic online and the entire goal of magic online was to exactly replicate paper Absolutely. Uh, so I do agree that that part's awkward. I just don't think I would watch an arena tournament where it was everyone playing full control all the time. I'd be pulling my hair out. Yeah, from yeah. The we we, we definitely can't do that. But I, I think it's less about replicating paper magic, but the fact that due to the way the client works, your hand is exposed, right? Like in unfair ways. Uh, but I, I do like the for every match you can go to full control for a single turn like three times max and that's it you gotta you gotta use it appropriately uh james co 9438704 i've been watching commander clash for a while and i finished your secret santa episode i think it'd be fun if you made the commanders as well which secret santa episode was this <laughs> if we made the commanders i find if you each made the commanders as well huh i'm confused by the question all right uh maybe clarify for next week I'm yeah, not, I'm maybe, not sure maybe, maybe james means. send it in again because we don't understand the question because uh, i think we did make yeah okay yeah did, yeah. did we send choose the commanders again. maybe you choose the commander and then have the other player builder on that commander i i don't know clarify and send it in again because i'm curious about what the question is uh, asking all right hubris three given the current meta what turn do pioneer decks need to be online to have a chance so like how fast do they need to win by uh, so I think that I would say turn four right now is a fairly critical turn. Turn turn five, I guess. <laughs> I think it really depends. The the deck that's kind of setting the speed of the meta is really the Demir Inverter deck. The Demir Inverter deck, technically, it's really a turn five kill. I think uh, most of the time, but then the decks that are trying to beat that are often trying to go under it, like Mono Red Aggro is an example, and those decks are basically trying to win by turn four to be able to beat the Inverter deck, so I would say that somewhere around turn four is what you would be shooting for. Four, four and a half, maybe? 
Yep. Uh, Bernard Seymour won. If Pioneer will one day come to our arena, I presume that the finances of arena will have to change. I can't imagine Watsi making us crack packs for 25 additional sets to get wild cards to build a Pioneer deck. Oh, I can. <laughs> um, I, I think right now what we know about Pioneer coming to arena is that the plan seems to be to release remix sets which uh or remix block sets i think so basically my understanding of it is original innistrad block rather than releasing three sets of an original innistrad mixing together the key cards that actually see pain pioneer from all three blocks of that set into one set releasing that set in draftable form like a normal set on magic arena and then if you go through enough sets and backtrack that way long enough, you will eventually have most of the cards that are necessary to play Pioneer uh, on the uh, on the client. So it seems like that is Wizard's plan, to release them through booster packs, draftable in these remix sets. <laughs> two, two, two wild cards for every card you want. Uh. I, I don't think it's that bad, though, if you <laughs> no, can draft no. it. I think it'll be fun. Like, if they're draft-focused, which they've talked about, and they're, like, fun limited formats, and they leave them up for a reasonable amount of time, I don't think that's the worst method of getting cards uh, for Pioneer under Arena. I just want to see a method where Wizards doesn't try to milk us dry every single... <laughs> <laughs> Un- every single time. To- do you keep track of uh, the sales they do on Arena with card styles at all? Yeah, yeah. They, they had they had uh, D Spark yesterday, ninety eight percent off, <laughs> markdown from six hundred to ten. <laughs> that, I don't know how it feels a little desperate to me. Like Wizards is just like needs to get every penny possible because they're they're testing just, right because no one clearly pays like the gem value aside from maybe like crim. Like <laughs> for like half of these cosmetics, right? They're they're testing. Like they had the Kaya uh, avatar the other day for like two hundred or something gold. So they're testing, but the problem is like these cosmetics. These cosmetics do nothing, right? Like they're they're just like a very small upgrade over the existing one. Like the parallelax, the parallax effect or whatever barely noticeable in fact it probably just slows your computer down right i'm not sure <laughs> it's like foils on magic online like it's just worse all like you can't see the cards it slows everything down doesn't look better like they need like real cosmetics like different different art different styles and then you know they people would actually buy them and you know we saw this with the the theros full art lands right they had to milk us yeah. for all that gold, even though it's part of the standard set. They're like, oh, we know they want this. We're just going to charge like 5,000 gold per land, right? Like, ugh. I I would be much more interested in cosmetics if they were different styles. I have spent money on like the storybook cards from Alderaan, the constellation gods or something that I will spend money on from Theros Beyond Death. If those were the card styles and they had cool art like that and varied from set from set, those I will buy. But I actually think that the Parallax thing, it was okay at first, but it's just kind of gotten boring and old to me. And now I don't even necessarily want the ones that I do have in my collection randomly to be in my decks because I just don't think they look that cool. Yeah. Uh, next question, Timothy. I was talking to a friend about it, and we're thinking about Return to Zendikar two. Watsi will do an expensive secret layer for Fetchlands instead of reprinting them in the set. Thoughts? Ooh. What What Possibly. makes more money, selling more standard cards or selling secret layer? 
Jeez, that's a that is a really good question. It's got to be secret I layer. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, probably because with the fetch lands, they could probably actually do like ten drops. <laughs> Each drop is a single <laughs> fetch land for like fifty dollars or forty dollars, and and people would probably buy them like crazy. Ugh. There's also the commander set. That's the other place I was thinking if they don't show up in Zendikar, that could be a good way to sell the commander product, and they are ultra staples in commander as well so maybe that's part of the commander draft set possibly i i think that we'll have like special art fetch lands for secret lair definitely happening basically everything that's ever been a masterpiece will come out in secret lair again <laughs> <laughs> like i'm pretty sure i'm like 90 percent sure it's just free money for lots like how much money does wizards make for like one booster box as opposed to one secret lair thing right like Oh, it's got to be way... Like, way they're making, like, 10 player. cents a fetch land or something? Like, I don't know what they're making, like, a dollar or something versus, like, $50 straight up right into their pocket. Like, no mess. Like, they're definitely going to do it. It is about as close as any company can get to just literally printing money. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really insane how much they could make doing that. And uh, they like making money, so I wouldn't be surprised if they actually did do it. Yeah. Plus, they don't want fetch lands and standard, right? Like, that's typically, like... I don't know, unless they're desperate to sell standard. They have nothing going for that standard set that they have to like shove in with. But other than that, like they don't like putting it in standard. They have to ban it from Pioneer immediately. Why not give everyone like shiny new fetches and secret layer exclusive 24 hours only? Buy it now. Uh, Lord of the Meese. Do you remember when Wizards spoiled Shatter the Sky on the same day as the Iranian missile strikes? I didn't even know that was a thing. No, I didn't either, actually. I am 100% sure it is not related whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, uh, what I know about Wizard spoilers is they're scheduled out way in advance, like yeah. a month or more in advance. So, uh, yeah, there's no way they would do that intentionally, I don't think. So, just a coincidence. Although, <laughs> I guess, kind of a awkward coincidence to some extent. Port Chop 224. Any chance to get a birthday shout out on the podcast? Today's the 24th, my birthday. Fan of the content and proud owner of multiple playmats with scoops. Oh, well, happy birthday, Pork Chop. Ooh, we actually got it on the right day because normally people like send fish mail, but we don't get it till Monday. But today <laughs> it was sent in today, and today is Pork Chop's birthday. So happy birthday, Pork Chop 224. Uh, last question, Michael Org. I want to complete a playset of Breeding Pool, but the price seems high right now. Any thoughts on the best time to pull the trigger to complete Shocklands? So the complicated part is... Actually, let me... I should double check this. Is Breeding Pool included in the Challenger decks? That would probably determine the answer to this. I almost think it is, but I, I don't remember for sure. Hang on. Give me, give me one second. That would be, that's the question. So what we know about Shocklands is they don't normally drop much in price when they rotate from standard. Last time we had Shocklands in standard, they didn't really drop in price at all. So from that perspective, I would just say you might as well bite the bullet and pick them up. It is not included. You get Temple of Mystery and Fabled Passage instead. So unless there's just a random reprint that we don't really foresee coming at this point in like a commander deck or something, I would say you might as well just do it. They might drop very slightly at rotation, but with the advent of Pioneer, there's a lot of demand for uh there's a lot of demand for the shock lands even outside of standard. So I don't think there's gonna be significant savings by waiting for them to rotate. So you might as well just 
just do it or else you wait for that random reprint which will happen eventually there'll be a master set that they're in there'll be a commander deck that they're in but we just have no way of knowing if that'll happen in six months or five years so unless you're willing to wait and wait and wait in hopes of that happening uh i would just say pick them up all right that's all the time we have for fish mail this week thank you to everyone who sent them in if you have questions send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail and we'll get your questions on air and I believe that brings us to the end of episode 265 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. So, until then, have a wonderful week. And this is Siku signing out. Bye.